Tech Band number six with me, Tim Robertson, and Bill Palmer. And that's it. Oh, and my cold. And by not having a voice. And it's tech fan number six, and uh, I'm your host, even though I don't sound like him, Tim Robertson. And uh, if you can't tell, I sound a little different. Uh, If you can't tell, then there's something wrong with your ears, because I sound terrible. And uh, I got a cold, and I lost my voice, literally lost it, couldn't find it, for two days. And the funny thing is, um, I could talk at, you know, very low volume, but if I try to get loud at all, it completely went away. It's pretty weird. So as promised last week, we've got Bill Palmer. He is the publisher of Beat Wheat Magazine. Hey, Bill. You know, of all the days, I was going to bust out my Tim Robertson impression, but now nobody's going to know whether it really sounds like you. So we'll, <laughs> we'll save that for next time. Oh, man. it's You've lost your voice before in the past. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I actually have uh, I, I, I have a little bit of a, a lifelong throat problem. So if I do say many interviews in a row i'll lose my voice for a good day or two uh fortunately because i i i don't podcast i i write you know nobody knows just how bad i sound on some of these interviews i do except the person <laughs> i've interviewed you know i don't don't have to put myself out there like you do uh when my voice is failing yeah and you can leave out of the interview that when they kept saying hey are you all right <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's great about the mute button. You know, you can clear your throat 20 times in a 20-minute conversation, and they don't know. I'll be turning down my volume quite a bit today to clear my throat. It's, uh, I, you know, I, I guess it's just a, an everyday cold, and uh, I wasn't coughing a whole lot, and this, all of a sudden my voice just went gone. I don't well, that's know. mine. I mean, it's, it's, it's there, and I, 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 I kind of know I'm talking too much, but then it's still there, and then all of a sudden it just goes off a cliff, you know? It's crazy how that works sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a body's reaction. Just starts shutting down the vocal cords to protect them, kind of so, like a Mac that overheats, and you know that kind of thing. For those who don't know, um, I've been podcasting going on oh, I don't know, a long time, and one of my reoccurring guests is Bill Palmer. He's been on the MyMac show with me. He was on OWC Radio, and now here we are on Tech Fan Number Six. And I brought Bill back, so thanks for coming on, Bill. I appreciate it, man. Sure didn't. Justin Timberlake made a song about bringing Bill back. Bringing Bill back. Oh, that, wait, no, that's not right. How's Beat Week going? Ah, busy, fun, a little bit crazy, you know. I, I like it when it gets just a little bit more than, uh, you know, a little more interviews coming in than I was expecting, just a little less sleep, you know, because then it kind of feels like it's uh, something new again, even though I've been doing this for too many years, didn't mention. You know, I I know the, the focus is usually on the music industry, but I've always considered you more of a technologist, I mean, I, I can see where your love of music is at. It's evident. But I think, I don't know, you know, before you started Beat Week and before you did iProng, when it was just your own blog, it was a lot of tech writing. And so I wonder, is that your true love or is the music your true love? Uh, it depends on, um, I guess it depends on how you look at it. My my issue with uh with tech writing to this day is I enjoy writing it, but I, I still feel like other than maybe you and about three other people, I don't have a true audience. 
what I have is I have I've you know I I feel like I'm the only the only uh, guy who you know who was writing about the Apple stuff every day two three times a day for years straight, and yet I I always find myself writing from you know what I call like the non geek point of view because I'm I, I, yeah I see the big picture of the industry but. I hate programming. I hate circuits. <laughs> I found that out in college. I'm like the anti-geek in terms of, you know, anti-technology. You call me a dork, a nerd, or whatever. I'll take all that. But as far as being a a geek who likes gadgets for gadgets' sake, that I'm I'm the opposite of that. And and so when I'm writing about this, I'm writing about it from a viewpoint that probably you know the, the people hanging out in front of Walmart would would agree with. Except those types are not the types who are going to sit there and read a technology article every day. You know. And the people I was reaching are, are basically uh, geeks, whether they be Mac geeks who wanted to agree with me and who never really could because, you know, they see the Mac from the exact opposite point of view that I do, or PC geeks who just wanted to murder me. So it was, I always felt like my, my tech writing has always been without a proper audience. I mean, I had, I had an audience. I still do for my tech writing, but it's not – I've never been reaching the kind of people I wish I could reach, which are the people who probably wouldn't, wouldn't read it every day even if they did read it. Isn't tech, though, so – pervasive in our society that we need more people who write it from the everyday point of view rather than the technology geeks, you know, the, the geek press, that sort of thing. We need more, you know, this is great because that, you know, anybody can understand that and they're not getting into, you know, processor speeds and how many cores and how many lines of code this program used. You know, that sort of stuff is important to some people, but like you said, the vast majority of people, they don't care. Does it work? Is it neat? That's all they care about. Yeah, we, we desperately need that. But if you look around, and this is not to criticize any specific individuals because there's a wide range in between geeks who get it and try to write for the mainstream and, and geeks who purposely try to kind of protect their own domain or, or don't even know the mainstream exists. But if you look at every, let's say, every newspaper out there, they all have you know at least one technology writer, and the technology writer is almost without fail a geek. Now, the better ones, you know, the ones that kind of rise to the top and end up at some of the biggest publications, those are the geeks who get it, and they're, they're at least trying to paint the big picture. But I'll be darned if you could find, a, you know, any publication out there whose resident technology writer isn't writing from a, a standpoint of, you know, feature overload. And, and, and I always feel like, you know, if, if the geeks like a product, I'm probably not going to like it because the things they like about it are the things that I think it's stupid. You know, what geeks would describe as open, I describe as convoluted and, and jalopy and, you yep. know. Pasted together. I agree with you. That it's not even. It's not even just that the, the tech. I can write from a technical angle. I mean, I, I I understand this stuff conceptually, even if I don't understand it in terms of taking it apart, putting it back together again, and having it still work. Um, so it's not. It's not just writing from generalities. It's writing from this this viewpoint that you know that look at all the meltdowns we've had this year. We're prominent geeks. Some of them geek journalists. Some of them just geek. You know, geek geeks who have a blog. Who, just total meltdowns over the rise of the iPad going out of their minds because this closed system is ruining technology. No, it's ruining it for you guys. You, you clowns who have kept technology for the geeks by the geeks for the first you know, three, four decades of consumer technology. And now that, and now that there's finally a product that was you know, embraced by the mainstream first and the geeks hate and the geeks are just kind of grudgingly getting on board because, you know. <laughs> they don't have a choice. Well, they're doing what the mainstream used to have yeah. to do, which is this completely unsuitable product, but it's the best there is, so I'll buy it and make do. Well, now, you know, there's this product that's suitable for the mainstream and unsuitable for the geeks, and the geeks are like, crap, you know. Now, now the turntables have, uh, <clears throat> you know, to quote a line from The Office that probably no one's going to quite catch on to. 
when you started writing, people got their music on CD. Yeah. So you got to see from a, a journalist, and you would probably use that term loosely, but I wouldn't, uh, a journalistic standpoint, the entire music industry change. And it seems like it was almost overnight. Now you get to talk to a lot of these recording artists. How do they feel about this complete upheaval of the entire industry? Are they on board with it? Are they excited about it? Are they ambivalent? Uh, it depends on where they were at before it happened. Yeah. Uh, artists who were on top before, uh, you know, when, when the playing field starts getting level, the artists who were on top before, well, then, you know, who, who, if you're in first place, who wants the playing field to be level? Who wants the caution flag to come out when you're leading by eight links at Daytona, right? Yeah. Um, the indie artists or the up-and-coming, even the ones who sign with a label these days, and that go the major label route, but they're still kind of in this internet age where they're trying to get popular. They love this because everything is shook up, you know, and, and really gives them a chance to, um, you know, to come into these new angles where they have the, the same or maybe even a better chance to succeed in these new avenues because the, the you know, the, the artists who are already popular have to protect their existing turf, you know. It's, it's, uh, what do you think about iTunes, good or bad for the music industry? Uh, it's great it's like uh, it's it's kind of weird it's like the life raft that that the the industry in a way i think kind of resents having been saved <laughs> you know what i mean i do in, in the sense that now apple has too much control and um, they can make or break an artist if a major artist comes out and apple doesn't feature them prominently on the front page it's not going to sell well by the same token if an artist that no one's even heard of is the single of the week I'll give you a prime example. Your current issue has Jimmy Eat World on the cover. I never heard of that band until uh, Apple released the song Los Angeles by Jimmy Eat World as a free single of the week about three years ago. And as I am wont to do, I download most of the songs of the week, and I find good music that way. It's It was a brilliant marketing move on Apple's part to give away a song, and maybe you'll you know, discover that artist and start buying that product. Or at the very least, you might be able to find out if you like this artist, you may also like those artists over there. And they have nice links to those. So I found this band, Jimmy E. World, because of the free song of the week on iTunes. And I bought every one of their albums. I've got the brand new album. I think they're a great band, but I never would have found them if it wasn't for iTunes and song of the week. Did I ask a question in there anywhere? I'm not sure if I did or not. (laughs) What kind of interview are you, Mr. Roberts? A sick one today, a sick one. No, You you know what's funny is um, you found them that way. I first found them, I mean, uh, I'd known about them since early on, but but only because I saw them open for Green Day uh, close to uh, probably a decade ago, back when they had their first hit song in 2001 or 2003 or something, you know, way back in the day. But it's funny how you can still... um, you and I can still have found our way to the same band through such vastly different uh, methods. I think that's what's cool about 2010. You know, iTunes is the leading uh, uh, music, uh, you know, uh, provider now, the leading source of music sales. Uh, you know, but, but I don't. I don't usually find new music because of it. Um, I usually find music in spite of. I tell you how I'm finding new music lately is Pandora. I've been listening to Pandora a lot more lately, and. Uh, I mean, I've got, you know, 
jeez, I'm going to say 30, 40, 50,000 songs in my iTunes library. But I find myself going to Pandora. And when I hear something I like, it's real easy to get more information and find a link to iTunes and buy it. Yeah, are you paying for uh, for Pandora? No. Oh, you and everybody else. And see, that's the problem with streaming music. It's 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 great to use as as a radio, basically your own you know radio, radio station right. for finding music. It'll be out of business within a couple of years, just like Lala and all the others were, uh, because the minute you switch over from free streaming music to uh, paid streaming music, which eventually they all have to, because every time they stream a song, they got to pay something to the labels. Uh, so they're in the hole right away. They would have to run ads just to break even, and eventually it comes down to where they're going to have to charge you. Once you flip that switch, all the mainstream people automatically will not pay a penny for streaming music, which is why iTunes will never, ever, ever have a streaming music service. Uh, I mean, unless I'm really wrong there. Um, but they uh, could they, have a subscription service, though. But they won't, because no. it's... I mean, a subscription service is the same. People don't... Geeks want to rent their music. Uh, no one else does. I mean, that's... Uh, we, we, we've seen that over and over and over again. It's why yeah, all these none of them is none of the the subscription services for music has ever succeeded. Not even yep. moderately. They've all been colossal failures. Right. And look at the first the first successful iTunes competitor that's ever existed is what Amazon MP3, right? Yep. Why? Because they copied Apple's business model. Yep. Because they stopped being ignorant fools and listening to the geeks who are a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of the overall population. But I still don't know anybody who business. buys music there. Oh, I don't either. But I mean, they have maybe I'm I, I would estimate maybe five percent where iTunes is eighty five percent, but five percent is massive compared to the negative million percent. You know, <laughs> what do you what do you think it's going to take to? Because personally, I want there to be competition to iTunes. I want there to be because it, it's going to help me find different artists as well. I don't have the time nor the inclination to to search out you know different bands and you know. Uh, MySpace. I know they're trying to really focus on the music industry now with this big relaunch, but yeah, right. I, I I don't have time to go to MySpace and start looking around. I just don't have time. I need one or two central locations that I can go to find what I'm looking for to discover something new. But really, right now, there's only iTunes and Pandora when I'm sitting next to a screen and can actually look at the screen to see what the song is, which isn't most of the time. So even though I say I find stuff through Pandora, really I don't too much because I'm not right next to the screen to look at to see who's playing the song. I'll hear it. I think, oh, this sounds good, but I'm busy. I can't go, you know, just drop what I'm doing to go check it out. And uh, that's kind of a problem. How do you? How are you going to find new music nowadays? How do you? How do you find it today, Bill? Well, I, I'm in a very atypical position in that you know every day I get emailed all kinds of stuff, whether it be. Uh, you know, with digital album downloads from the major labels that they, they send me links to, or even indie artists who send me their MP3s. So I'm, I'm in a very atypical position. I still go out and um, not so much now that I'm living back on the East Coast, but when I lived in LA, I would just go walk into a music club, you know, where there's a different band playing every hour and a different artist, and just kind of try to randomly sample just to balance out so that I, I, I wasn't a uh, puppet of my inbox. You know what I mean? Yes. So I'm covering more stuff than just what's getting pitched to me. Yeah, because then you're you're not really doing any job at that point. You're just kind of playing catcher. Yeah, well, that's why it's so important to 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 listen to all these uh, indie submissions I get to, and and you know, I mean, it takes forever, and it feels like just when it feels like God, you know, another crap band, you know, another artist who doesn't sound any different from the last one, you know, and then I'll just kind of hit on one and say, oh wait, okay, this is you know, 
Um, so that's when I feel like I'm doing my job when I'm really digging through this stuff that isn't isn't the uh, what would you call it? You, you can tell when the major labels are pushing an artist to be the next big thing because they'll just keep hitting you over and over again, over again. And if I think that they suck and they're not going anywhere, I just don't bother. And I, I could probably get more browning points if I if I played along. But I'll, I'll ta- I've taken a pass on ones that I knew would get famous just because I'm like, God, I can't. No, you know, I'm not subjecting my readers to that. They can they can hear about this crap everywhere else. But you know? you've been ahead of the curve more often than not when it comes to new artists. Uh, Katy Perry is a good example. Yeah, um, well, you know, and that was that was that was part luck and happenstance so i mean it, it was kind of a funny thing i i had just worked with that same uh label that same publicist at that same label on on another artist who at the time was uh you know more well known and it was just kind of one of those where they they kind of send you something afterwards you know i've, I've, I've to to the immense credit of 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 the labels everything i've never had them come and say well you know if you interview this artist we'll let you talk to that one that's, that's never ha- i was afraid that's what it would all be when i got into it that actually never happens but what they'll do is after you do an interview, and usually after it's been published, then they'll come back and say, "Hey, nice job." You know, if there's another, you know, if you want to do it, here's another one. You know, and then and then kind of know that's the one that they're they're pushing. And that was the case with with Katie. They sent me this album a few months before it came out. Now, where I'll give myself a little credit is I listened to it and I'm like, "Wow, you know, this is a style of music that I usually don't like, but I actually really find this really catchy, and I, I like this, and I want to talk to this one." Um, and I had the sense that she was going somewhere just because. Hey, if it's someone who makes the kind of music that I don't usually care for, but I like it anyway, what do you think? It's a good sign that they're going to be able to appeal to the mainstream. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that technology is helping the music industry at this point, or hindering it? A uh, little of both. I, I think you know. I think if nothing else, and I've noticed this, I've noticed this with enough bands that I, I probably don't even have to name names because everyone can probably think of one in their own in their own collection if they think about it hard enough. There have been bands that, much as I love them, have, had never made a complete album in their lives. Yeah. Three hit songs and nine crap songs. Yeah. Every record they ever made. Since the launch of the iTunes store, I have seen some of these same bands suddenly, magically, 10, 15 years into their career, suddenly figure out how to make a complete album of 12 good songs. Not 12 hits, but three hits, and then nine other songs that were never going to be singles, but they worked hard on them anyway. And they sound pretty good, the whole album from start to back. You can't tell me it's a coincidence that all these veteran bands figured out how to make complete albums as soon as they realized that their fans could just cherry-pick the singles if the rest of the album was crap, right? So what do you think the problem was before then? That the record label was saying, we need 15 songs, we need 12 songs, and you've got 18 months to do it. Uh, well, you know, these artists, their time is divided up in a lot of ways. You find this out when you go to interview them and you, you, you kind of just start chatting with them and say, oh, what's your day like? And they start listing off the things they're doing. They're like, wow, that's more than I got scheduled for this month. You yeah. Know? Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that there's just been a little more focus shifted back to the art of songwriting or, or creation. I mean, if you've got 18 months to make an album, that doesn't mean you're in the studio every day for 18 months. No, that, that's my point, though. I mean, you know, they have these deadlines imposed upon them basically by the marketing people we have this slot open in this month uh next year and um boy we'd really like your album to come out there and oh by the way we also need a song from you for iron man 3 right you know i'll tell you something artists are getting more power though at least the power how can i say this that's that's, that's really where i'm I'm going with that question is technology helping or hindering the music industry is it allowing the artist to have? By the way, that that sound 
that your Altoids? No, it's my uh, allergy tablets. Oh, even better. Yeah. I, I'll give you an example. Um, one of my favorite artists, uh, you know, Sarah Bareilles, on her first album, she had, uh, you know, that one big hit song called Love Song. And so she was in a great position with her second album to either take off and take over the world or, you know, if it was a crap record, then she would have been a one-hit wonder. And uh, she's not a... She'll be the first to say she's not a quick songwriter. So she went to make the album. She wasn't doing well. She, you know, said she was struggling to come up with good material. Uh, her deadline was coming up, and she went, she went to her label and said, I, I can't do this. I need more time. You know, this is going to be a crap record. Everything I have is junk. And so they gave her the time, which I'm guessing, you know, a decade ago would not have happened. Um, and yet they gave her the time, and so she think. I mean, you know, she was three years between records, which you're not supposed to do between your first and second record. Right. And uh, But her, you know, her second record finally came out, and, uh, you know, it's a great record, and it, 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 you know, went to number one on the Billboard charts because... Uh, you know, she waited and did it right. So there's a case of someone who, you know, put her foot down, and the label actually said, "Yeah, okay, you know, we'll we'll go along with that." Um, and so I, I see more of that. No, again, that's the, um, you know, that's the, the more powerful artists, I guess, are, <laughs> have more power. I'm not sure that the the indie artists, uh, you know, just signing onto a label who are kind of the bottom rung of the label. I'm not sure they have that kind of power. Do albums still rule the day, or is it becoming more single centric? I mean, if you go up to iTunes. You know, here's the top songs. And it, it feels more like, you know, when I was eight years old, walking down in the snow to Kmart to buy the, the single Another One Bites the Dust. You know, that's what it reminds me of. It's just, I, it, there was one song. When I was eight, nine years old, uh, I didn't even grasp the concept of the album. It was all about the song. And... I look at my kids now, my uh, 15 and 16-year-old, and to a lesser extent, my 7.5-year-old, and it's all about the song. It's not so much about the album. But isn't isn't the single just a gateway into, uh, you know, finding a new band anyway? I would agree, but do you think that that's the way it's going to continue to be going forward? Do you think artistically it's better for a band to to take three years to make an album or would it be better for their listeners and for them if every two months they have a, another song? Well, we're seeing a lot of experimentation like that. Um, we're seeing a lot, a lot of uh, albums that are shorter, you, uh, albums that are 31 minutes long or something like right. that. Where you, you would never have bought a CD in, in Target or Walmart a decade ago. You'd have felt like you were ripped off because no matter how short that CD is, you're still paying $15, $17 at retail. Right. Um, so you see these albums that are, you know, 30 minutes long because uh, they just got 10 short songs or something. And then it'll be like 7.99 in iTunes. Yeah, cuz so, they can adjust the prices there. Yeah. To, yeah, to so a certain extent. I think that flexibility helps a lot. Uh there there are artists who who now feel like they want to put out something every year, so in between their full-length records, they'll put out uh, uh say a covers EP or or a live album which they can and, and it's, you know, it'll be a digital only release, which you know, again, allows them to, to price it aggressively. And, and, uh, well, I think that's probably going to be more of the norm is digital release rather than CD. Uh, although I do see, like, I, I'm on uh, some U2 mailing list. I don't know how I got on it. I love U2, don't get me wrong, but I don't remember signing up for this thing. And I get uh, these private videos from U2 behind the, uh, behind the stage, and I get them, like, two or three times a week. 
Um, it's kind of neat, but I again, I don't remember how I signed up for those. And they had a big thing about their, they had this um, album coming up that you could pre-release or pre-order it, and you're going to get the vinyl. And uh, I thought, vinyl? Who the hell wants vinyl? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, don't get me wrong. From uh, an audiophile perspective, which is how I got into technology to begin with, um, vinyl sounds much better on a really good turntable. But who the hell is buying vinyl? Why would you even bother to press vinyls? I, I can't imagine anybody's making any money on vinyl anymore. You know, it's weird. There's been such a vinyl uh, resurgence. It has. It's it's, it's really weird. And I, I assume it's so many artists do it that I assume there's got to be enough of a market for it that it's at least paying for itself. Um, and it's probably you know people like you. I mean, you you prefer the sound of vinyl. You're not buying it, I, I guess, because of the total lack of practicality of it. But I, I suspect there's some people buying it um, because they they really. I mean, like Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam is one of the biggest proponents of that. He said, you know, he wants to listen to music on vinyl. And you know, there have been times where Pearl Jam has released their record on vinyl a week before it came out on CD. Yeah. Uh, you know, Eddie likes to screw with people too a little. You know. Yeah, that's why it's just been mo. Yeah, but. But you know that that said, I think I think a lot of people buy vinyl. I could be wrong about this, but I suspect a lot of super fans of bands buy it as more of a collector's item and put it on the mantle. His name is Bill Palmer. He's with Beat Week Magazine. I'm Tim Robertson. We'll be right back in uh, one second. Let's take a quick commercial break. Hi everyone, it's Gaz and Guy, the G-Men from the MyMac.com podcast. Each week, we bring you information you can really use, not just more of the same old Mac news. Also, we have occasional guests on the podcast from some of the Mac's top developers and users. That's right. Not to mention inviting our own listeners onto the show to get their opinions and to find out what they use their Macs for. Since 2004, the MyMac.com podcast is the show you listen to when you don't want to take technology so seriously. Hold on. So are we relevant or irrelevant? No reason we can't be both. The MyMac.com podcast irrelevantly relevant find us on itunes just do a search in the podcast section with my mac subscribe and prepare to be entertained all right bill palmer so what are you using lately for your uh technology needs what are you using portable wise and computer wise you know, it's it's funny. I was just thinking with um, you know Apple this event yesterday, day before, whenever it was. I've lost track already. Yeah, earlier this week. Yeah, yeah, and they you know they 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 revved uh, the MacBook Air, and I was I was, I was kind of thinking you know because I use a 15 inch MacBook Pro, and it's it's about a year and a half old. I like to flip them, you know. I, I like to because they hold their value for about two years. I like to sell them while they still have most of their value, and then buy a new one. You know, anyone who hangs on a Mac into the third and fourth year is just being lose the money. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, why not flip it while it's still under the extended warranty? And I mean, you know, I paid two grand for this. I can sell it for fifteen hundred right now and buy a new one that's faster, better across the board. Yep. For two thousand, basically having paid two hundred fifty bucks a year to have a, a top shelf MacBook Pro, and I, you know, do that at infinitum. But you know, I, I keep looking at that MacBook Air kind of lustfully, and I just kind of realized when I looked at the specs on this one. Oh, you're still there? I think we might have lost you a little bit, Bill. Hello. Yep, we still got you. Go ahead. Okay. I uh yeah, so my 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 little USB headset is not at the top of the list of my favorite products right now apparently. <laughs> I hear you. <ya. laughs> yeah, I, I do need to replace this thing, I guess, but um 
Yes, I mean I do. I do a hundred percent of my my Mac computing on a laptop. I don't own a desktop. I uh, I've been a laptop user for about a decade. I I had a little brief flirtation with an iMac a couple of years ago. I found it to be way too cumbersome in terms of not just not being able to take it with you, but not even being able to move it across the room without shutting it down, unplugging it, rebooting it. I just kind of lost interest with the whole desktop thing. Uh, I'm in both camps. Uh, I've got. I think the same 15-inch MacBook Pro you have, uh, but I just got, in fact, I set it up last night, a brand-new 27-inch iMac i7, and, uh, boy, that thing just flies. But I don't use it as half as much as I do the MacBook Pro. Um, of course, my job means I'm out of town all the time, but I like having that kind of central base of operations where I can use Back to My Mac to get to it, or Back to My Mac, that was the name of the event. <laughs> whatever the program is, go, uh, go to Mac. Go to or Mac, something. yeah, yeah. whatever. And uh, I so I can I can log into it remotely if I need to, but I know it's kind of secure. It's there. All my files are there. Uh, I like that feeling, but for the most part, I use my laptop and I use my iPad. I mean, that's my computing experience most of the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, and that's kind of what I ran into was like, wait, where's my data? Where you know, with the work I do, I've usually got ten apps open at once, and I'm I'm jumping into my different libraries. And the, the idea of being able to get any work done. There goes this headset again. Really? Yeah. Just a second there. It oh, just doesn't know, like you. Who's who's the brand on this? We're gonna bury them. Get them. I bet it's Logitech. <laughs> it's a Tim Robertson brand. That's right. It's wow. sick. And it sounds terrible today. <laughs> oh. I'm just having sympathy pain. Do I sound all right now? No, you sound good. Okay, well, let me let me try to think of something smart to say so it can crap out again. No, I just, I mean, to me, the desktop motif, God, it's, it, and, and now they've got the, what do you call it, the magic trackpad, or is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah, magic trackpad. I've, I've got one of those, to too. Desktops into, you know, pseudo laptops. Well, no, you know what that's about? Uh, and I think you really saw that. It's about Lion uh, 10.7 yeah. when it comes out. With all the different gestures, You just it's just not comfortable doing those gestures on a mouse that's rounded. Um, and i got to be honest, I, I love my Magic Trackpad. I'm so used to using a trackpad with my laptop that when I'm on my iMac, it almost feels weird to use the mouse sometimes. Although if I'm doing real precise mousing, I, I really do want to use a mouse. But for the most part, the trackpads are much, to me, and everyone has their own preferences, but it's a much superior product to a mouse. Well, I, I love the fact that people are finally coming around. I've been saying since the 90s that the trackpad is the way to go. And for me, it's mainly it's just the fact that when I'm on the keyboard of my laptop, my trackpad is within reach of my thumbs. It's so much faster to, to reach for a mouse, even setting aside which which of the two you know, is better as far as gestures or, or control or whatever. Just the fact that the trackpad is an inch away from the space bar of my keyboard. Yes. Which is why, you know, the one on the, uh, the one that comes with the desktop is a little bit diluted in the fact that it sits, what, next to it. I mean, you can't really put it, you know, you, you can almost uh, emulate a, 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 but I'm so much faster on a laptop than on a desktop just for that reason because a mouse is like, God, really, a mouse? I mean, what next? An 8-track? Let's, let's get a vinyl <laughs> player, too. Do I have a, you know, can we have a slot-loading vinyl, uh, you know, uh, optical drive on my on my Mac next to the mouse? <laughs> so I'm glad the public has finally caught up with me on the trackpad thing. Do you do yeah. you have an iPad? I do not. I do not. Um, See, I, I thought I you explain. might have jumped on that real quick. I, I thought, Bill Palmer, iPad, of course. I, I would have, and I really got to explain. Um, and I, I've tried to be open about the fact that I don't have one yet. 
and I know that catches a lot of people off guard, but it's basically this. I almost literally never leave the house. <laughs> I um when, when you know, for, for years I, I lived on I lived in, in LA and even though I worked from home I would run around and go to industry events all day long and then I'd have like three hours in between events at a coffee shop and I would lug my laptop around, uh, you know, which is completely overkill, or other days I just have my iPhone, which is underkill. And if the iPad existed back then, I would have been using it every day. It, it would have made things so much easier. Then for some godforsaken reason, at the beginning of this year, I decided I'd, I'd been in Hollywood too long, and I moved back to small-town Florida, which um, at this point I've, I've realized is kind of like leaving the Matrix and then trying to go back in and realizing it small town life is just some fake concoction you know yep <laughs> um and so uh here i i've given up on the idea of of suburban life altogether i really don't ever leave the house unless i'm going to the grocery store or something and as much as i wanted to buy an ipad just to to you know because it's such an incredibly game-changing device i just couldn't make myself buy a device that i knew would probably never be turned on um see you know. i don't ever take mine it, it's usually i'm dropping crap now I, it's always with me um, because I keep it in the same bag as my laptop. But if I'm at home, I don't use my laptop. I use my iPad if I'm in the couch or, you know, sitting on the couch or I'm in the kitchen because it's just so convenient. It's instant on. Uh, I don't have to open something and hold it awkwardly while I'm walking or if I'm standing somewhere. It's just it's everything that's great about the iPhone minus the phone part. But better because the screen is so much better. It's so much bigger. Um, and it's the first, for me anyways, and, I, and I've described it this way before, it makes the internet much more immersive for you because it's closer and you're touching it. Uh, and unlike an iPhone, it's, it's just too small to get that immersive feeling. The iPad is just perfect for that. Um, and it's got, I think, the best version of iTunes of all time because it merges what's great about the iPod and the iTunes library and puts it all into this one portable device that just works really well. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've spent some time with one, and and yeah, I mean, it's it it immediately screamed to me that this is this is the future of computing. You know, once, no question. Once sorry, but once the technology evolves to allow them to bulk it up, capacity, speed. Um, and then the way they'll the way they'll flesh out iOS based on the extra processing power yep. would be amazing. It'll just take time. Yeah, and it, like I said, if I were in fact, I'm 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 uh, pretty much set on moving back to LA um, at the end of December. I'm just kind of running out the clock now on things here. And um, once I do, it'll probably be the first thing I well, actually probably I'll probably buy one the day before I uh, hit the road because I want it on the road trip. I mean, who wants to drive across country with something as outdated as a laptop? Yeah. I'm totally with you on that. I mean, just the idea of uh, every once in a while, I'll, I'll say, okay, I'm going to go work on the back porch. And that's probably the one time I would use the iPad because, yeah, I take my laptop and, yeah, I mean, to give me an idea of how outdated laptops are, to transport it, you close the lid, which puts the entire machine to sleep. Yep. They're designed for another era in which you wouldn't have always on computing. I mean, that's you, right. You, you, you turn your iPad off, you turn the screen off, it's still keeping your email up to date in the background, you know? You know, with my it, what what it's done for me is it's made my iPhone less cool. Um, you know, when I got the iPhone four, it was less cool because I also had the iPad, and it just it just made it more lame. It's like I look how small this is now. Really, the only thing I use my uh, iPhone for is listening to music in the car, GPS, and uh, email. I don't I don't do a whole lot. Uh, well, check you know check my Facebook status occasionally, but. 
I'm not using half and half. Hell, I'm not even using a, a tenth of the apps that are on my iPhone. Because if there's a comparable app that I can use, a larger version on the iPad, I'll go to the iPad every single time. Games, productivity, I mean... But you say you've got it with you at all times. I've got it with, well, it's in my bag anyways. Yeah, but exactly. if I'm driving down the road and someone calls me and says, hey, I need a password for something, and I know it's an Evernote, I can pull over, click it on my iPhone, and it's right there. Um, but if I'm at home, I'm not racing to the computer, or I'm not racing to my iPhone, I go to the iPad. It's just bigger, it's easier to read, and it's got all the same information my phone does. And um, I use Dropbox a lot, and I use uh, Evernote. And that way, you know, I've got the same information on all three of my mobile devices. Well, not just mobile, but my computing devices. It's on my iMac. It's on my MacBook. It's on my iPhone. It's on my iPad. No matter where I'm at, I I have access to that information. I think you've got the 3G model. Uh, Which one? The uh, The iPad 3G. No, no, I've got Wi-Fi only. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, well, when am I going to use it if I'm not in a place where I have Wi-Fi? If I'm at the hotel, I've got Wi-Fi. If I'm at work, I've got Wi-Fi. If I'm at home, i got Wi-Fi. And if I'm here in the studio, I've got Wi-Fi. Why? I'm not going to give AT&T extra money for the one or two times I might be at a truck stop where I want to use it. I mean, I've got my iPhone for those cases if I just need to check email or I want to check a score on a, a game or you know, I just want to see what the new... Uh, Issue of Beat Week magazine, who's on the cover? I've got my iPhone for that. I could check it real quick, see what I did there, by the way. It's you. You're on the cover. Yeah, it's me. Sad, sad issue. We, we, you know, a little my, do- my dog out. turned us down, so I had to go with you. <laughs> no, that's that's funny that we differ on that. Maybe maybe our our um, lives are just diff- so different, but I, I wouldn't be caught dead with the Wi-Fi only version. I would probably end up smashing the thing to pieces within a week. I. I it blows my mind how just how incredibly rarely I come into contact with Wi-Fi outside the house. And it was just the same way when I lived on Hollywood Boulevard. I mean, I, you could get it in the coffee shops if you typed in a 17-digit code right. and paid a dollar an hour. Um, and, yeah, I mean, on, on a road trip, I found out it it's sometimes works in hotels. All hotels have it. Some of them, you know, it's slower than dial-up. Um, I God, no, I, I, I have no, I have no faith in Wi-Fi. I mean, I, I really wonder if Wi-Fi is going to be completely gone in the future outside of the home because, and we've had it for eleven years, and it's it's just as much of a joke in terms of finding it as, as it was back then. Except it, it won't know, until um, we have three G, four G like connections, free of charge in our host in our home, and that you know. I don't have to give AT&T or Verizon or whoever extra money just to have my laptop talking to my desktop in the other room. Right, right. No, I, I, I think Wi-Fi, the home is the one place Wi-Fi will be around for quite a while. Um, just look at the limited data plans. I mean, if there's one regret you know, for having waited to buy an iPad, part of me wishes I had bought it just to, to sit it. You're probably going to laugh at this, but I bought it just to sit it on a shelf for a year just so I could have gotten the unlimited uh, data plan, which you now can no longer get. Because yeah. to me, that makes it something of a toy. You know, that kind of ticked me off. That <clears throat> that was the big promotion behind it when it launched, and within, like, what, two months? They completely took it away. Well, it shows you just how, God, just how monumentally. I mean, if, if you want to look at, at, at the biggest mistakes of Steve Jobs' career, certainly in the second Steve Jobs era, that AT&T exclusivity deal, it's got to go down as the, the biggest mistake, the most damaging that he's ever come up with. In 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 you know since I mean, not not counting maybe the the early 
Steve Jobs era, but in the past 13 years, I mean, has he has he ever screwed? I guess that's that's a compliment to him if if that's his biggest mistake. Something that yeah, it doesn't you know, seem to have slowed sales down any. How do you know that though? I mean, that's that's what I was kind of chewing on. iPhone 4 sales are basically twice what iPhone 3GS sales were when it first launched. Yep. And yet, how do we know that if it weren't on Verizon, it would have been uh, three times or four times as because much? Because they couldn't make them fast enough. Because even though, um, for the first, what, five weeks, uh, right. it was a back order. So everyone okay, they could possibly sell, they were selling. So even if they were on a bigger network, they still couldn't physically make them fast enough. So it wouldn't okay, have made but, any difference. But, but, Setting that aside, though, because clearly I, I think something got screwed up as far as iPhone 4 manufacturer. Just the fact that the white model still hasn't surfaced. Something is totally, you know, and the, and the fact that that dude got fired that was in charge of iPhone hardware. To my mind, um, if I had to guess, and it's just speculation, but my guess would be is the inventory problem. I mean, what kind of moron picks a product that's as surefire hit as an iPhone and, you know, picks a design or a manufacturer or components or whatever that just can't be manufactured in any quantity? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people still waiting for that white iPhone. Yeah. You know, what's amazing, though, is in the past week, um, iPhone availability has gone from a three-week delay to a one-day delay. Yep. So all of a sudden, they've caught up. Right, and so it, it's a hell of a like, thing when someone else gets fired for it. <laughs> pretty good motivating factor, right? But I mean, Bob's you know gone what I'm saying? Because of I this, mean, oh, we need to crack if, down. If not, yeah, if if if, if there had been a Verizon iPhone four alongside the AT and T iPhone four, yeah, it, it would have been a six week wait instead of a three week wait. But yep. now that they've gotten this solved, tells me that if, if they hadn't screwed something up back then, they could have made as many as they they wanted to. You, you know, know what I, kills I, me, Bill? You were there when they uh, launched the iPhone. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think we're sitting next to each other. Yeah. Um, for the last, I don't know, four years, everyone's been saying, oh, it's going to be this summer. No, it's going to be this fall. No, it's going to be this spring when Verizon gets the iPhone. And I just kept thinking, what are they talking about? Steve Jobs, in 2007, on stage at the Macworld Expo in January, said that AT&T had a five-year exclusive contract for it. He said it on the main stage. I was with Altel at the time, and I thought, well, crap, for, for the next five years, only AT&T is going to have it here in the United States. That means I have to switch to AT&T if I want to use the iPhone. Right. And I don't understand where all this rumors keep coming from. It's like they, they've got a contract with AT&T for five years, which, by the way, ends uh, in a few months. Actually, it doesn't end until 2012, right? Two, no, it would be 2011. But uh, the iPhone was introduced in January 2007. Right. Well, that's so, true. Yeah. See, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. That would be 2012. You're right. Yeah. I mean, I've been as confused as you are by that. And and yet, you know, I, I, w- I would think that any contract of that length between companies this large and, a, a, you know, and a, a leadership as shrewd as someone like Jobs, uh, you know, even though he prefers exclusive partners because he wants to beat them over the head with that exclusivity and get what he wants out of them, I, 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 would, I would almost bet money that there were clauses put in that that said AT&T has to perform to this level with the network or the contract ends early. And you know, going the other way, I'm sure AT&T had things to hold over Apple's head. Sure. had to be this many iPhones sold or whatever. I, I, I'm, I'm not even convinced that that deal is still intact. The only thing we know for sure is that it was a five-year deal from you know from 2007. There's no there's no way to know for sure that it hasn't already been opted out by by all these scripts by AT and T, all the the MMS and the tethering coming late and the disastrous uh, data slowdowns in New York. I still don't have 3G here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
I really wonder about that. And of course, with AT&T's network melting down, I think it would be rather easy for Apple to go to AT&T and say, hey, guys, you know what? We got about $50 billion cash in the bank. How much of you do you want for this deal to end early? <laughs> we'll write you a check. You fill in the zeros behind it. We want this deal over with so we can put the iPhone on multiple carriers. And AT&T would probably not be in a position to say no if, if the dollar amount was large enough because Apple has just an insane amount of cash well, on let's, hand. Let's talk about that for our last uh, little bit here before we wrap up the show, Bill, because I know you've got something to do here pretty quick. Yeah, going Apple- snow skiing in Florida. <laughs> Um, Apple's got just an an inordinate amount of cash drawing 1%, which that 1%, I'd be happy to take the 1% of uh, interest off that. Um, What the hell do they do with that much money? Now, at this event this week, Steve Jobs said, actually, I think it was was the week before during the financials where he said uh, they're sitting on that money because there's some moves that they – want to make and they want to be in a position to make those moves if it and a lot of people came back and said well that means they probably want to buy like Facebook I think they want to buy uh, an AT&T or a Verizon or something like that because that's the last piece missing from the pie for Apple you know they they handle distribution Um, they'll sell, sell you the products that run on with the new Mac App Store. Uh, they do the same thing on the iPhone, the iPad. They control the music industry now. Uh, they've got a pretty good foothold in movies and television. But what they don't control is how all that data gets to our devices wirelessly, i.e. cell networks. It's the last thing that they don't own. Don't you think that that's what the money would go for? They just buy AT&T or Verizon? I think there's there's two problems with that. It makes sense on paper, but one problem is that Apple is spread just dangerously thin right now. I mean, some of those things they they showed for the Mac the other day were things that should have happened years ago. I mean, the last three versions of Mac OS have been nothing. They've been nothing new that the average user could even mention. You know, one feature by name. They've been the same right. stupid system over and over. Pretty good to begin with, but finally we see after three, four, five years of neglecting the Mac OS, finally they're getting back. Oh, lost you again. See what happens when you badmouth the Mac there, Bill? Hello? That's what it is. Yeah, shouldn't, shouldn't have badmouth the Mac. It got back Am at I you back? there. Yeah, you're back. All right, sorry about the technical. No, no problem. But that, that's just an example. Of how By the way, when's the last time your computer crashed? Uh, I'm not sure this one has. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, they haven't done yeah. a lot with the Mac OS in the last three years, have they? No, but... <laughs> It's funny to say that because we get so spoiled. You know, we they, do. They, they, they perfected this we, OS. We're, we're so we're yeah. such a uh, instant gratification. The wow, bang, oh. the one more thing. But you yeah. know, Snow Leopard was really all about uh, the back end, making it more stable, more robust. It's almost unheard of that yeah. people's Macs are completely locking up and crashing. But it was already stable and robust before. No, not really. You, well, you, you, we look through the we look in the past with rose colored glasses. We really do. I didn't. I mean, I didn't. My 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 MacBook before this, the black one, it never crashed, and it was running the uh, previous one. I guess everybody's experience is going to be different on that. Sure. But, I mean, I, I guess my, I, I, you know, I guess maybe we're just not going to see that the same two different experiences. But my larger point is that Apple is spread so thin. Look at the iPhone thing. Whatever the deal was, they had someone in charge of that that clearly turned out to be someone they didn't want in charge. You yeah. know, they wouldn't have fired him. So. I mean, they're getting they're, they're getting so they're expanding in so many diff- different directions so fast that I worry about them taking on something additional like 
becoming a cell phone carrier right now. The, the other thing is, if you look at the U.S. cell phone industry, for better or worse, there's almost zero regulation. These companies have no rules to follow. They're able to get away with putting out an absolutely horrible crap service, um, and that's how they make their money, as opposed to some other nations where there's laws that say you have to have a cell tower every certain number of feet for population density. This company is also raking the money, but it's just a different, it's a different system. Now here, to be a carrier and to do it right, I, I suspect that Apple might have, you know, what, what if Apple, in order to compete with Verizon and AT&T prices and yet have a good network, have the only good cellular network, had to charge more money per month uh, for a plan just to break even on it? I don't know. That's the math. But let's say it was. Are you know? Are people really going? I mean, we've seen. It's well, that's just why like, I said. Well, they they would buy one of these carriers that already exist. But then, if it's going to be an Apple branded carrier, they're going to improve it. They're going to start putting in the right number of towers. You know, Apple does something. They don't. Yep, they don't do it half-assed. Um, but, I just wonder if they would lose money on that to the point that it would. But couldn't know, they afford? Be- couldn't they afford to lose a whole lot of money, even for two, three, four years? To get it to the point where you could have over the the wireless network that they own, high def, true high def, 1080p, with not a lot of compression, uh, streaming video to everybody, and it and the network's more than robust to handle it because they understand the technologies out there much better, it seems, than Verizon or Sprint or AT and T or whoever. Orange, if you're in the UK, um, wouldn't Apple be just a natural to own that end of it, or do you think that's way too much power for one company to have? Um, I'd like to see it. I mean, I'd like to see them try. I don't have the problems with AT and T that people claim to, you know, but I would love to see them try because this this idea of the the carrier surrendering to traffic overload and saying, okay, now limited data, limited data plans. I mean, we might as well just block out the sun and live underground. That's you right. know, that's, I mean, they're, they're not even trying. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I would not, I would not expect to see that happen anytime soon. I, I'm fairly well convinced the Verizon iPhone is happening just because of oh, it'll the, happen. There's uh, the no Verizon question. iPad thing. I, I think it'll happen yeah. early next year. What you're talking about, maybe, maybe in 2012, maybe down the road. I just see um, Apple, that that's the one piece of the puzzle that no one really ever talks about, that Apple doesn't control, and that they have to partner up with somebody to get data plans uh, increasingly for their mobile devices. The, the MacBooks and the MacBook Airs and the MacBook Pros sell at a much higher rate than the iMacs and the PowerMacs or the uh, Mac Pros do. Uh, you look at the iPad. You look at the iPhone, the iPod Touch. All these things could be talking over 3G or 4G, but Apple doesn't control that aspect of it. It's the only part that they don't have any control over. And you know damn well, at least with the iPhone, that's the one that gets the most complaints. That's the one that takes the biggest hit. And Apple really has no power to enact changes there. But if they owned the carrier themselves, well, you know, so if they build up a big enough war chest to buy one of these companies, and they already have enough to buy AT&T or Verizon. Well, sure. I mean, they could probably buy both. I think I think the bigger problem may be this. It, people have shown, the public have shown that they are willing to accept crap on some levels and not at all on others. The reason the iPod completely clobbered all the other MP3 players is they were all crap, either in terms of being actual crap or perceived as crap because they were too geeky. Yep. So people will not allow their music to be screwed with. But if, if, if there's one thing that the, the, the little, you know, 
decade-plus cellular experiment in this country has shown, Americans will accept total crap when it comes to networking. Oh, absolutely. Just total crap. Just like our home broadband is garbage. But that's only because they don't know any better. Once they know something is better... Here's, here's, Here's where I'm going, though. I mean, there are people who love Verizon, even though it's just as crappy as AT&T. There are people who love AT&T, even though it's just as crappy as, as Verizon. They fall in love with one of these horrible carriers like Stockholm Syndrome. I'm fairly convinced that if Apple did that, they would have a hard time getting people to switch away from Verizon to an Apple-branded carrier. Probably. I mean, there are people who would rather shoot themselves in the head than switch away from Verizon. I don't get it. I, I've been a Verizon customer. Their network is just as much garbage as AT&T. But yeah. You know, at some point, Apple has to uh, give in on the battles that are of less priority in order to win the ones they want. Apple's priority right now with 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 the iPhone is to make sure this Android thing doesn't happen, and it's starting to happen. You know, I mean, if you if you want to put yourself in Apple's corner, they got to get the iPhone on Verizon, at least Verizon now, and maybe Sprint too. You know, so that people who want an iPhone are buying an iPhone rather than saying, "Well, I wanted an iPhone, but Verizon, I want to have Verizon's babies, and they don't have an iPhone, so I'll buy this fake crap iPhone called the Droid." And I'll just live with that. And millions and millions of, of morons are doing that. Yep. Because they because Verizon is their their religion, or Sprint is their religion. Uh, at least for now, Apple's got to get the iPhone out there and kind of put down this Droid rebellion, to put it in total Star Wars terms. Maybe in the 4G era in 2012, maybe that's when they can kind of. But it takes a long time to change minds. Look how long it's taken. Uh, you know, uh, Apple to change people's minds about the Mac. I mean, uh, you know, Jobs been back for 13 years, and now the Mac is finally at that point where it grows 20, 30 percent. Uh, you know, each year uh, in terms of uh, sales and market share. But look how long it took. How many dozens of iMac models have there been? Yep. So it takes a long time. That once people have settled for crap, it takes a long time to change their minds. And what you're talking about maybe down the road. I, I don't know if we have time for this, but I think Apple's next acquisition is Adobe, and I think it's the last company in the world they want to buy, but they may have to keep Microsoft from getting a hold of the uh, creative suite. Uh, we ought to have you back to talk about that real soon, Bill. That'd be interesting. I had a big conversation on the last show with David Bieni about the Microsoft uh, Apple, or I'm sorry, Microsoft Adobe potential partnership, and you should go back and listen to that show. I think you might uh, enjoy it if you're interested in that topic, but uh, Apple buying Adobe, that would be a, that'd be a great show to talk about. So, Bill, we got to wrap this one up before my voice completely goes away. I hadn't noticed. Yeah, who could tell? <laughs> uh, such a good actor with that. Uh, where people go to learn more about you, find Beat Week, find you on Twitter, that sort of thing? Uh, the the website and and the magazine are both at BeatWeek.com. Every article in the magazine is also on the website. You can just hit it up that way. You don't have to go to the magazine, but if you want to, there's also the link for that on BeatWeek.com. It's free, too. My Twitter is... Twitter.com slash Bill Palmer, and you know that's where you can see me ramble about sports and other nonsense all day long. Yeah, Bill's a, a Dolphin fan, and I'm a Lion fan, so we're both perennial losers. <laughs> <laughs> you guys win the draft pick every year. Oh, yeah, but eventually they're going to have four people on the team, and that's all they can afford to have because they're all <laughs> such high draft picks. <laughs> we could do a whole show on the salary uh, cap, too. We could. Oh, yeah. and the lockout that looks like it's still going to happen next year. And uh, I bet money that's not happening. We should do a show on that. Millionaires versus billionaires. There you go. Players always cave. They always do. Well, it's, yep. you know, they only got a finite amount of time that they can play ball. That's why they're being. That's why. That's why the owners are threatening a lockout. It, it, as long as they hang that over the players' head, the players will cave to anything. It's the same reason the football players don't have a real union. You know the the, the real- hitting, gall, ballsy, gutsy guy. They beat each other up, and then when it goes to negotiate contracts, they're just a bunch of wusses. I don't. You know, if we did have a lockout next year, there's one great thing that would come out of it. 
One great thing. What's that? Brett Favre would finally retire. <laughs> Dude would be playing in the arena league. He would be. He'll be, he'll be playing flag football when he's 80. All right, so uh, for Bill, my name's Tim. We'll see you guys in a week. Hopefully David Cohen will be back. Hopefully my voice will be back. In the meantime, make sure you check out the website. It's at mymag.com. Check out the other podcast. You heard the uh, promo that we played earlier from Guy and Gaz. And uh, we'll see you guys in a week.